knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn. And we have a really special guest tonight and that is Nick Weissel. Some of you, if you're in like the Reform Pub or, um, or you might know him from his podcast, Reform Pilgrims, which we've recommended on this podcast and I've been really enjoying. So before we kind of talk about all kinds of things, Nick, I would love for you to talk about the podcast and what you guys are doing because it's you and and two other guys and you guys have some good chemistry and great discussions on there. Yeah, so we're, um, there's three of us, uh, me, Nick, um, Jim, and Jordan, and we're just three dudes who talk about theology, but we kind of wanted to look at it from both the orthodoxy side of things, how you're, um, like what you should believe and um, how you should think about theology, but also how does this apply to your life? How does this, what implications does this have for your life? So we try to focus also on orthopraxy, have a healthy mix so that we're not entirely cerebral um, uh, and that we can get a little bit more practical. So yeah, it's it's a fun little thing. It's actually surprising how many people apparently listen to it now. I didn't expect it to receive the uh, reception that it did, but um, yeah, so that's been really humbling. Um, but yeah, it's fun. We're uh, in the middle. We just finished a, a series on the Ten Commandments, and we have a couple other episodes I think planned. I think we want to do one on a, adoption soon. But um, we just finished recording an episode on sanctification, which was a lot of fun. And we're in the middle of a giveaway. So uh, if you like free things and you'd like a chance to win some free things, you can check out our Facebook page, which is uh, Reformed Pilgrims. And um, we have a little giveaway for a couple books. The episode coming out on the looking updates. Listen to the next episode coming out on the 6th, and uh, you'll find out if you won. So we just have a couple things that we're, we're giving away. We try to give a, give away something uh, or a couple things um, every month. So it's kind of fun get the word around. That's that's such a great idea. I know our gals love it when we when we do the, the giveaways. I'm going to link your podcast in the episode notes, and I'll also do a direct link. Nick, what are you guys giving away right now? 
Uh, let me look it up because it. Uh, I don't do the giveaways. I do all the polls on the page, uh, and <laughs> Jordan does all the giveaways. Oh, so, polls. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I love my polls. <laughs> I'm a little infamous in in the Reformed pub for polls, but uh, <laughs> uh, so we're <laughs> we're giving away the Sermon on the Mount DVD series, uh, teaching by Sinclair Ferguson, um, a book form of the three forms of unity. And the moment of truth by Stephen Lawson. All right, so, so, a book, some confessions. Yeah, yeah. DVD. So yeah, check out check out the Facebook page and listen August sixth. Yeah, or you know, earlier if you just want to listen to us, that's okay too. <laughs> well, we always recommend download the entire backlog, guys. <laughs> and, all of a sudden, the numbers shoot uh-huh. up. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always do when I find a new podcast. I don't know if everybody else is like me, but um, if I find a new podcast that I like, I think, look at all this these amazing episodes I've missed out on, and then I feel like I, I'm behind. I have to catch up with everybody else. So, yeah, For me, it, de- it depends on the podcast, but sometimes the beginning of a podcast is really rough and awkward, so it's kind of fun to listen to the the progress of mm-hmm. how how far how how much better people come along as they they get used to the podcasting thing so yeah it's fun i think our first episode we have the wrong podcast name because we we're going to use uh pilgrims podcast but some mormons already owned that one mm. and we didn't know about it until way later and we were really sad and they were like okay reformed pilgrims even though pilgrims podcast was a good pun so mm. reformed um, so pilgrims is better wrong name <laughs> if, well, it's I mean, definitely a lot more straightforward. If you have to do initials for your podcast, I'd rather be RP than PP. Yeah, true. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think you lucked out there. That was that was uh, common grace getting you to the right <laughs> podcast name. <laughs> oh, that's funny. The things you that's learn right. on theology gals. Well. We're gonna we're gonna talk to Nick about the Ordo Salutis in a minute, but I'm gonna just say this is Wednesday, twenty fourth. What is it? The twenty fourth mm-hmm. that we are recording this, and we're just gonna just briefly talk about some stuff that's been going on in the Reformed world. If you aren't on social media, then you probably do not know. But yesterday on the twenty third, Founders Ministries came out with a. Uh, a trailer for a new film that they're doing. And from what I can tell, I think the film is kind of against some of the egalitarianism out there and social justice stuff out there. But uh, it's been kind of crazy because a lot of people have taken issue with it. It's not... Some people are like, well, if you take issue with it, it's because you're a social justice warrior. But surprisingly... A lot of people who have been against the social justice movement are, have even take issue with it. But the thing we were going to mention about it is one of the things I've noticed, and Nick had a tweet just not long before we started recording, or I guess maybe you put it up earlier today and I just saw it not long before we started recording, that one thing that, that we've all kind of noticed is that uh, the people that are out there fighting for victims, have concern about abuse in the church, want to have conversations about how to better deal with abuse, are being thrown into the social justice category. And I think that's unfortunate. As I've told 
people, I think, even on this podcast, that doing Theology Gals really opened my eyes to the problem of abuse in the church because so many gals contacted me with stories. And I didn't know, like, it was not on my radar. I'd seen a couple situations in my life, and I didn't I didn't realize, you know, that that so many people had gone through these difficult situations. But what do you guys think about this this issue of abuse in the church and how we need having conversations and whether this is a social justice issue or whether this is just a we're Christians that need to talk about this issue? Well, I you know, I just have one brief thought about it and I saw some like you, Colleen, I, I saw a little bit of talk about it really just a few minutes ago before we started um, recording, and that's all the more I've seen so far. But um, I saw some really um, intelligent analysis by our friend Carrie Baldwin on her Facebook page, um, and she, her take, which I, I agree with, I think it's very intelligent, is that there are multiple issues going on here. We've got the question of egalitarianism, ordaining women, slash allowing women to preach. I mean, some of this conversation is happening in the SBC, so it's not so much about ordination as should women be allowed to preach. Um, and then there's uh, social justice, racism, abuse, and these all feel like very big conversations going on right now. And it's easy to see that there's a certain crowd of people. Maybe it's not even a certain crowd. It just comes out sometimes when you're in these conversations that if you have an opinion on any one of those five topics, you are automatically going to be lumped into a particular camp or someone's perception of a particular camp on all of those topics. And they're lumping those topics together. So if you have an opinion on abuse and you think that the that it's it would be helpful for the church to have a conversation on whether or not we're dealing with abuse well, well, by saying that, you've told me you're egalitarian, and you've told me that you think women should be ordained, and you've told me that you're a social justice warrior, and you've proved that you're a feminist. Well, these are not all the same topic, and people have widely ranging and nuanced views on most of these topics. Um, and, you know, we talk about it all the time on Theology Gals that we are not egalitarian. And, you know, saying, um, hey, let's have a conversation about how the church deals with abuse does not an egalitarian make. And so I think that it is, um, at best, um, it's intellectually lazy to lump all of those together and put your opponent in a sort of a scary category of liberal. But at, at worst, it, it may be kind of a ninth commandment violation. So I, I don't know what you guys think about it, but that's my initial thoughts. I think you even... Nick had a tweet that you, I think it was you that had a tweet that there was maybe even some ninth commandment violations. Right. Yeah, um, <clears throat> because of the the framing of the the language, um, a couple shots that they took. Somebody, so a, a well known person, reformed Christian who attends a sixteen eighty nine confessing reformed Baptist church, uh, they were lumped in with this with the uh, egalitarians, theological liberals, quote SJWs, and uh, leftists, there's a lot of political language in um, in this trailer. And so it felt um, pastorally heavy-handed, at the very least. Mm, I feel like a, mm-hmm. a lot of people l- l- seeing those uh, trailers 
uh, might. Um, I think it's just very, very hard words um, that weren't necessarily helpful, and especially in the way they were said. And I know people like to complain about tone police, but uh, the Ninth Commandment talks about uh, seasonable speech, and um, it prohibits unseasonable speech or um, equivocal terms. And I think that when you equivocate people like the egalitarian crowd, which is still different, distinct, uh, related to, but distinct from theological liberalism, which is distinct from the SJWs, distinct from leftists, right? And then you have just people who want churches to be responsible um, regarding how they handle sexual abuse in the church. Uh, when you put all those people together, that's you're, just, you're asking to break the ninth commandment. So I, I do feel like that that that's happened with this uh, with this video and even with some of the defense of the uh, the documentary trailer. I think it was like ridiculous, you know, talking about the eleventh commandment of not talking badly about any SBC people that are high up. Yeah, you know, somebody somebody had said um if if you're taking issue with the documentary this isn't a direct quote because i don't want to do a direct quote but this was the basically they said if you're taking issue with the documentary i have no reason to believe anything other than you are on the social justice side wow and and that that really um concerned me i would actually do a little plug for Reform Pilgrims here and recommend their episode on the Ninth Commandment. And I think it would be helpful to read Westminster Larger Catechism on the Ninth Commandment because this is one that I go back to a lot as kind of a self-check because this is one I break far too Mm. often. Um, But what are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, appearing and standing for the truth, and from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth, and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice, and in all other things whatsoever, a charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, a ready receiving of a good report, and unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them, discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanders, love and care of our own good name, and defending it when need requireth, keeping of lawful promises, studying and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. And I'm not going to even read the next part, but I'm going to encourage other people to, because there's a whole section on what are the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment. And it might even be a little longer than that. But boy, what a good reminder for all of us in the way that we speak of others in preserving the reputations of our neighbors. Um, in being sure that um, we are being mindful of making sure that things we say are are truth. And um, yeah, just a a good reminder. We could probably do a whole podcast on this topic, but what I do want to say is this, that we, at least um, I'll say for myself, and I think Angela and Nick would agree, we, we are concerned with the fact that there has been abuse in the church, and we're not saying that that's the norm. At all, but unfortunately, 
I was ta- I was talking to Nick before the podcast and talking about how much things have changed because in the 80s and 90s we didn't always deal with abuse very well and there's stories even in recent years there's lots of stories of churches dealing with it right and well mm. also so I want to say that but every Christian should be concerned with dealing with these things in the right way so I'll I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but you guys had some great thoughts. Thanks for being willing to talk about that briefly. So I'll tell you what happened and how Nick even ended up coming on our podcast. For a while, I had thought, because I, I love reading Nick's comments in on Facebook. And he always, like, when I see that he's commented, I love, like, okay, what does Nick say? Because he usually has something good to say. And there was a discussion about the Ordo Salutis in the Reformed Pub. And I saw Nick's comments and I sent them to Angela and I said, we should have him Mm -hmm. on about this because I I loved what he said. And we've had, that's been a topic that people have requested for a while. And it's one of those things I think that Angela and I thought, well, if we could find a guest, that would be even better. Somebody that would (laughs) be willing to come and discuss it with us, and I'm sure we have some people saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. Ordo salutis. Maybe, Nick, you can talk about what we're talking about when we say ordo salutis. Yeah, so uh, ordo salutis is Latin, I believe. Uh, I'm not a seminary student. I'm just a guy on the internet. Uh, but uh, ordo salutis is Latin for the order of salvation. So it's talking about the the steps, maybe is a good way to put it, or the um, the different concepts of, of salvation and how they relate to one another logically and temporally. So, you know, from beginning to end, where does salvation really start? Um, where is salvation conceived uh, and as a concept? And then all the way to the end of what is the, what is the end of salvation? How does salvation, um, how is salvation completed, etc.? So it's uh, talking about in a comprehensive way, um, kind of a high level way or, or lo- high level, low level, or just like the couple bullet points of um, how we get from being created and um, being conceived in sin and all the way to being with Christ and um, as um, in, in glorified bodies. So, where does that start? How does how do, how is that determined? Where does that start? What is the process? Because we're given all sorts of different um, concepts in Scripture, like faith, justification, sanctification, repentance, um, election, etc. So how do those things all work together? And we put those in a particular logical order, uh, which is called the Ordo Salutis. You know, one thing that uh, occurred to me is that at least growing up, when I thought of salvation, I think I just thought of salvation as just justification. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Um, and I, I think we should talk a little bit about how when we're saying salvation in this conversation, we're not talking about just justification. Right. Um, the order of salvation, the order salutis, contains, uh, just as Nick was saying, quite a few steps, not just justification. And sometimes, you know, just when we're in everyday conversation talking about, um, uh, talking about salvation, yeah, we're, we're using that as shorthand for justification. So when we talk about the ordo salutis, that includes 
um, multiple steps. And as Nick said, these are logical steps. There may be some ways that some of these steps we experience temporally or in time as being simultaneous, but these are the logical steps that work in an order. And that is election, then effectual calling, faith, justification, adoption, sanctification, repentance unto life, and all the other saving graces that go with that, and finally, glorification. And so those are all of the steps of salvation for an individual person um, as they take place start to finish. And when I say start to finish, that's a logical order. That's the order that they have to flow in to make sense. But how we experience many of these pieces may be simultaneous the way that it feels Mm -hmm. in time. Yeah, and we'll even see in Scripture there are times where um, something that is uh, placed after faith in the Westminster's Order Salutis actually is placed in Scripture before, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. as if it were like uh, the end and faith is the means. So like you'll hear things like um, repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ or mm-hmm. um Repent and be baptized and yeah, a repent and believe uh, the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, repent and believe, um, and so sometimes Scripture um, puts those in uh, repentance, then faith, and then sometimes it puts it faith and repentance, right? Sometimes it- Zechariah twelve ten. Um, it's written, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him. Uh, so, oh, it's different view, version from the, the reference page, like the little link that pops up, but... Um, the mourning happens after faith in Zechariah twelve ten. Mm. So there, sometimes faith and repentance are uh, in opposite orders in Scripture, and generally speaking in Scripture, they're conjoined. So when you're called to faith, you're also called to repentance from sin, and vice versa. Mm. It's not like they're they're separate things, but they're they're conjoined. Um, by justification, adoption, and sanctification. So they always come together. So sometimes you'll see people preach um, repent and believe, and sometimes there will be basically believe and repent. So, yeah, it goes goes both ways. And those things typically, right, I don't think there's anybody who believes and then doesn't immediately repent because they're, they're simultaneous. So that's why I think there's some confusion. People are like, well, I repented, and, the, you know, I turned from my sin so that I could turn to Jesus in faith. But... Um, there's actually some scriptural problems with that as well. So, yeah. Well, and I want to talk about why it's important. And as I was um, thinking about this week's episode, one thing I thought about a lot in the why it's important is what we talked about on our Lordship Salvation episode. Mm-hmm. And one of the issues that we took with Lordship Salvation specifically, making repentance part of faith, mm. redefining faith and saying repentance was part of faith. Even though, um, like Nick was talking about, where you see some of these things in Scripture kind of come in different orders, and even though some of these things in our own lives are kind of simultaneous, it is important to understand a logical order of how these things happen, because this is how the Lord is working in our lives. Um, so, why, why is it important? Why, why do we care about an order of salvation? 
Well, I think if you get things backwards or, or mixed up, um, experientially, you can destroy your assurance. Mm. So if you are looking at your the issues of sanctification, right? Like you have some indwelling sin that's still there that you're you're trying to kill, and you are confusing sanctification with justification, right? Um, you're confusing becoming holy with being declared holy and righteous. Um, that'll destroy your assurance because you'll see how unholy you are and you'll look at the the lack of holiness in your best efforts because of um, your sin that is um, it's besieging you and it's besieging your conscience and you won't be able to uh, look at Christ who is your righteousness before the Father, right? So um, you, if you stand on the wrong ground, it's very shaky because you can you can judge your salvation uh, by how well you're doing in in sanctification, mm-hmm. right? How well um, you know how well the fruit of the spirit is being born in your life through sanctification, and uh, you can judge your entire salvation on that. That just that just destroys your assurance. Um, I think another thing that um, you'll run into is. Uh, right. If you confuse, like for instance, like faith and repentance, um, you can add a legal character to the gospel that isn't there, and you can turn the gospel into a new law. And the point of the gospel is that we're freed from the penalty of the law because Christ took it on our behalf. So if you place something like repentance with faith, you run into that issue because you're telling people that they need to stop doing something before they can come to Christ, uh, which means that their coming to Christ is not free. And that, that's just that it causes problems. Um, I think experientially and pastorally and um, it, it brings a new character of, of law to the gospel that shouldn't be there. Right. It, it, it brings in something called preparationism where, where we're now maybe overtly teaching that you kind of need to clean yourself up first before you can um, place your trust in Christ and before you can be a Christian. Um, and, of course, as, as you said, we know that's highly problematic because there's the truth is there's really nothing I can do to clean myself up enough to be acceptable to God. The only <laughs> The only hope that I have is to throw myself at His mercy and say, um, because of Christ, because He is acceptable. That's the basis of my acceptance. Um, I want to read from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is question number 36. What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? And the answer is the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. Now, that is comforting. That is comforting. And so, yeah, getting the order order of salvation correct, it really does matter. It really does. Our view of our standing, our right standing before God, is really driven by our view of how did this happen? Who really did the work here? You know, um, that's what matters. Yeah, especially what you just said there, Angela, who really did the Mm -hmm. work here. 
I think that that's what that's what's so comforting in each one of these things is because of the Lord's work. It's not because of ours. It's because of the Lord's work. Uh, I'd like to go through each one of the things and just um, we could we could honestly do a whole episode mm-hmm. on each one, but we're going to go through and and just talk about what each one of these things are, and we're going to start with election. So, uh, Nick, do you want to talk about what is election? Yeah, so election is the, it's what God did or does, right, if we're speaking a bit more properly, in, e- in eternity, where uh, he chose some, right, to everlasting life. So, he, um, in the divine council, the Pactum Salutis, where he, the, the covenant of, re- of redemption happens uh the covenant of grace is given and um god makes a covenant the father makes a covenant with the son to give the son a people to redeem for his glory so he elects people uh in the son so he says i'm going to save people because you are going to represent represent them uh and you are your works are going to represent their they're standing before me. So question 20 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism reads, Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? Answer, God, having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity, elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into a a state of salvation by a redeemer, which we know to be uh, Jesus Christ. So... Um, election is what uh, the process, or it's not really, process isn't the right word, but it's it's uh, what we call that thing that God did when he um, chose people out of grace, not out of anything that he foresaw that they would do. He chose them out of sheer grace for his own glory and for their good to redeem them and save a people to himself. And so we, we refer to those people as the elect. And we think of, um, I mean, I think Ephesians 1 and 2 kind of fits mm-hmm. into everything we're talking about, but in Ephesians 1, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. So that's, that's kind of the first, the first step that we see in the, in the Ordo Salutis. Effectual calling. I don't know, Angela, do you want to sure. take that one? Effectual calling. Um, you know, this was... A very helpful concept for me to learn about um, when coming first into Calvinism. You know, I think sometimes when we've come out of a more Arminian background, we think of a call as as being the outward preaching of the gospel and maybe like an altar call, like, you know, we're hearing somebody's voice saying, trust Christ. And in the Ordo Salutis, effectual calling is sometimes referred to as the inward call. Um, yes, it's accompanied with the preaching of the gospel. The outward call um, plays a role in that inward call, but it's the inward call that is taking place by the Holy Spirit. And that's what's, why it's called the effectual call, because um, that's why in um, the TULIP acronym, we have irresistible grace. This is, this is um, directly related to that irresistible grace. It's saying that when the Holy Spirit calls you in your heart, it's going to be effective, and you are going to respond. 
and what's that next step? How are you going to respond? It's going to be in faith. And so mm-hmm. the effectual calling is that inward calling, the Holy Spirit moving in your heart and enabling you to respond in faith. Yeah, something interesting about the the way the Westminster Larger Catechism uh, defines effectual calling, it uses the word work. So effectual calling is the work of God's almighty power and grace. Mm-hmm. So that's distinct from justification, which is an act. Um, or adoption, which is an act, but it's similar to sanctification, which is a work of God's grace. Mm-hmm. So, effectual calling is not just the initial um, Holy Spirit regenerating, enlightening your mind, but it's the continual drawing mm, and yeah. the making us more and more willing to answer the call of Christ and to accept and embrace uh, the grace offered and conveyed therein. So effectual calling is kind of like the like from the moment you you were first regenerated all the way to um glorification. It's like it encompasses all of that because it's um it's a work. It's not just something that God does once. It's like a continual work that sets you on the road of salvation, right? To use the language of um the larger catechism question thirty two. So, and next comes faith. And if you haven't listened to our episode on Lordship Salvation, I would definitely recommend that because we talked a lot about kind of, not only do we have faith here, but I think it's important that we understand what faith is. And that's something that we talked a lot about on that episode, where um, historically, that is knowledge. So, which involves, you know, the, the knowledge of knowing knowing what is true, assent, so we come to believe that it's true, and trust, so that it's, I trust that that's true for me. So, so we have these other two things, and then faith, and faith isn't, it involves those things, but faith doesn't happen apart from the Lord's work in our lives. Right, and I I just want to touch back a little bit and connect to what Nick was saying um, earlier from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, Noting the language about who's doing the work, um, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 86, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. So notice the connection here to what was happening in the effectual call. We have the outward call of the gospel and the inward call of the Holy Spirit drawing us. And notice in this question, we're receiving and resting upon him alone for salvation as he was offered to us in the gospel. That's connecting to what Colleen was saying about assenting to the facts of, okay, who is Christ? It's who he is as presented in the scripture and in the gospel. But then also believing that they are true, but then finally, that they are true for me in my case. And that's the resting upon him alone for salvation. Um, and so, you know, that first little phrase, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. It's given to us by God. It's not something that we do. We receive and rest. Okay, so why don't we move on to justification? But Nick, maybe you can even talk about, because when you can talk about the relationship between faith and justification, because what do we hear a lot in our reform circle, circles? We're justified 
by faith alone, or sometimes we'll hear by grace through faith on account of Christ. So we see a relationship there. So maybe you can talk about justification and the relationship to the things we've already talked about. So um, I'll just go with the the shorter catechism. Question 33, what is justification? Uh, Answer, justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So justification is where we are pardoned and God accepts us as righteous and he pardons and accepts us because the righteousness of Christ is covering over us. We are saying Mm -hmm. that the righteousness of Christ is mine. I believe the gospel, Christ is mine, and because I have Christ, I'm united to him. Um, I have his righteousness. So it's, uh, it's God declaring us just because of the work that Christ uh, did on our behalf. And faith's relationship to that is instrumental. So faith itself doesn't justify when, justify when we say that we're justified um, by faith or, um, or we're justified by, by uh, grace through faith. Um, we don't, it's not like faith itself is meritorious. It's an instrument. So it's the channel through which we receive the benefits of Christ uh, because, of, um, because of the Holy Spirit drawing us to Christ. And faith is the return grip that Christ, Christ grabs us um, in regeneration through the Holy Spirit. We, we grab back with faith. Mm. Um, so he, he, he touches us. Our reflex act is, is faith. And that is like the establishment of a channel wherein we receive all of the benefits of union with Christ. So we receive his righteousness and God sees the righteousness of Christ in us because of faith, right? Because faith is uh, the instrument through which that righteousness is received. And he justifies us because um, because he sees Christ. Like that's like justification, right? Just as if I'd um, never sinned and always obeyed. Um, so that's that's the relation between justification and faith. We're going to... We're going to talk about adoption now, and I mentioned earlier how how much I like Ephesians 1 and 2 for this discussion, and I just want to read this little part here. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. And uh, one time, my husband used to lead the the catechism at our church. We'd have Sunday school and then a catechism time. And we were talking about adoption from Westminster Shorter Catechism. And my husband was adopted. And he had talked about in there that how much his own adoption in this life you know, his he was born to a teenage mom who uh, decided not to keep him, and and his parents adopted him. How it really made him think a lot about the Lord's adoption mm. of us, and so now we're justified and we're adopted. What does that mean? That that we're adopted. I and you know, I I often think about all of the 
pictures that we have in this life that help us better understand the Lord's work in our life. So we see examples of people adopted, and then the Lord adopts us. So so what does that mean, Nick, that the Lord adopts us? Well, um, so in your husband's case, um, his parents chose to receive him. And uh, when he was adopted, um, he became their child. And there were um, privileges and, and rights that he had, special benefits that he had as their 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 um, their child. So, um, right, he's he's written into the will. Uh, he is um, he's got a seat at the table. Um, he's fed for and and he's fed and provided for. He has everything that he needs, a, a roof over his head. There are benefits that he receives because of that adoption. And so that's, uh, analogously, that's kind of what it's like when we were adopted by, by God. So we receive the Holy Spirit, um, the spirit of adoption, whereby we can cry to him. We pray to him, um, God, our father, because um, he is uh, He is our father now. That's what adoption means. And um, th- that means not only that we gain um, the Father as the Father, but we also gain Jesus Christ as our elder brother. So, um, and because he is our benefactor, he's the one to which all the benefits are um, related. There are things that are given to us because we are sons. Everything that Christ inherited through his obedience to the Lord on our behalf, we now inherit of sheer grace. So, we inherit eternal life and um, happy blessedness uh, with God. We receive, right, and we'll talk about this in sanctification, but uh, we receive our birthright of not just having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, but actually becoming a principle within us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us and causes us to to be conformed uh, into the image of the Son of God. And that is just, that that's amazing because... Um, your inheritance, right? You're like you, it's not just like okay, you're yeah. righteous. Yeah, it's not like you're just right. You're righteous. I'm just gonna declare you righteous, and that's it. No, God doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, okay, you have the righteousness of Christ so that you can be justified. He actually gives you and starts to work in you that actual righteousness. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're not just. Um, this is the best best part about um, about adoption is because that's all the benefits of Christ, all, all like, not just the being declared righteous, but actually like growing in, in grace and the enjoyment of, uh, loving fellowship with God. Mm, um, amen. the enjoyment of God as father and not as judge that all of that is on the basis of adoption. So that's, that's like, it's a small question in the shorter, it only gets one article in in the confession of faith, mm-hmm. but it's such a beautiful, concept that uh it's so good i i I lose words trying to think about it because i get so excited and and happy thinking about it (laughs) i actually want to read from the confession about it i think it's probably the section you're talking about because this really does make a very good connection between adoption and then moving into sanctification and glorification those are um benefits that we receive through adoption you know just like you said Mm -hmm. god does not just go Hey, you're you're declared justified now. Okay, see ya. See you in the new heavens and the new earth. Catch you later. You know you're part of a family now, and so um, it, it 
brings with it all of the things that it means to be part of a family. So this is the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 12, paragraph 1. All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth in and for his only Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation." So, you know, that being chastened by him as a father, but never cast off. That's sanctification and glorification. You know, um, he, just as you said, he starts the work in us right now. We're not just waiting around. Um, And then he is really going to complete it. He's going to bring it all the way. Yeah, I even think about when, when my husband was adopted, his parents now called him their own. You know, this is our son. And... And that's what the Lord does with us. He calls us his own. He calls us his children. And as you started to talk about there, the work continues. We have sanctification. And in the shorter catechism, sanctification, this is often a misunderstood thing. Uh, Reformed Pilgrims just did an episode, so we can link that on, on just sanctification. And we've done an episode on sanctification that we can link in the episode notes. But Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is sanctification? Sanctification is a work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So sometimes people think that sanctification is me doing works and God helping me Mm, do those works. mm. But sanctification is a work that the Lord does in us, and our good works are the fruit of sanctification, the fruit of the Lord's work. So just kind of hanging on the the sanctification being a, a work of God's free grace and not something that we, it's not something that we do. Um, I think uh, R. Scott Clark will talk, he has like a short article where he talks about uh, not being sanctified by works. So because salvation encompasses, right, in the middle of Ordo Salutis, it encompasses uh, regeneration, effectual calling, regeneration, uh, justification, adoption, sanctification, right? Uh, none of those things are by our works. And sanctification isn't, isn't by our works either. Um, our works flow from sanctification. And um, in a proper sense, we might say that they promote or help to constitute sanctification, the increase of, of sanctification. But in and of itself, sanctification is a work of God's grace. It's not something that we we try to bring to the Lord, say, look, Lord, we've sanctified ourselves now. Now um, give us more assurance, give us more uh, benefits, help us to, to have a, a better experience of being saved. No, we're, we're sanctified by, by grace. The Holy Spirit works in us and conforms us to the, uh, the, to the image of God. And that's just, um, it's beautiful. So like your, your old man is being put to death and uh, you have a whole life of it ahead of you. But um, it's the Holy Spirit working in you, causing causing you to bear good fruit. And it's just uh, um, that's just you know part like he 
like like with adoption, the Lord doesn't just leave you there. Um, sanctification is your birthright. You're you're going to receive it. Uh, you're guaranteed it. And there are numerous benefits that flow out of it um, as a Christian as well. You so yeah. I'm I'm comforted knowing that it's the Lord working in me because we all know what it's like to mm. struggle with sin and to think. You know, I even think in my life, if I look at when I was younger and certain things that I would struggle with, well, I'll give an example. Um, Sometimes I was not patient with my kids and I would sometimes lose my temper with them. And I and I felt very convicted because of the Lord's work in my life. That's why I felt convicted. And I repented of that. We'll get to repentance in, in a second. And I I know that. Um, I am more patient now than I was because the Lord worked in me, not because I tried harder. Mm. Um, not that there's not, to, not that we shouldn't try mm-hmm. harder. I'm not saying that, but um, having more patience, patience is because of the Lord's work in me, and I can glorify Him for that. I can't. I don't. I don't get to pat myself on the back. Mm-hmm. Good job, Colleen. Yeah, it, it's not about. Um, you know, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps or just, you know, having the right system to trick myself into being more patient or what, you know, it's not behavior modification, you know, it's, mm-hmm. um, as you said, it's the Holy Spirit's work. He's the one doing the work, even even after justification takes place. He's the one doing the work. And, uh, you know, that's what we mean. We've said in some previous episodes that sanctification is monergistic. The one doing the work is is the Lord himself. And what I'm doing uh, producing fruit is the outflow of that. Um, well, you know, one of the fruits also is repentance, repentance unto life. So um, I want to read Westminster Shorter Catechism 87. The question is, what is repentance unto life? And the answer, repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. And, you know, we we have talked a lot on Theology Gals about um, making sure that we keep repentance and faith distinct, Um, but then there's that other error of uh, just saying that repentance doesn't matter at all, completely free grace. And, you know, we say it's very important to keep them distinct but connected. And, you know, this this question and answer here does a very good job of doing that because it, it it's, tells us repentance unto life is a saving grace. Again, that's um, similar language to all of these other pieces. The Holy Spirit is the one doing the work. The Lord is the one doing the work. But what is going to flow out of it is that I'm able to endeavor after new obedience. Um, and and that's what the repentance is. It will necessarily follow out of true saving faith. Nick, one thing I would like you to talk about is repentance is one of those things that if you look at people describing the Ordo Salutis, that you find it in different spots mm-hmm. um, where people think repentance belongs. Uh, could you talk a little bit about why it belongs here? after sanctification. Not that some of these things may happen simultaneously, but there is an important logical order. Yeah, so I um, I know monergism has an ordo salutis. They actually have a couple different versions of the ordo salutis uh, where um, faith and repentance are 
join together in the term conversion. And often we'll hear the language of conversion um, to describe faith and repentance together. And I think that there's, um, because we know that faith goes before justification, and we're so used to seeing it uh, conjoined with repentance in scripture and generally in the preaching of the gospel, um, that it's it it seems intuitive to place repentance and faith in the same bracket before or prior to justification. Um, so there's two different kinds of mistakes that can happen. Um, so the first one is I think that 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 is a mistake. I think that um, if you read the Westminster Larger Catechism, uh, question seventy-five of the Larger Catechism answering what is sanctification um part of that is having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other saving graces put into their hearts and those Mm. graces so stirred up and increased and strengthened as that they more and more die into sin and rise unto newness of life so repentance is viewed uh in light of sanctification according to um the, the westminster standards and actually if you see um, question 87, where it says repentance unto life is a saving grace um, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. Mm-hmm. Apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ is faith. So That's repentance right. presupposes faith first. And if there's faith, there's justification. If there's justification, there's adoption. If there's justi- if there's adoption, there's sanctification. And if there's sanctification, there's repentance. So... This is, uh, I think, question 87. Actually, it's uh, it's right there where it says, uh, out of apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, this is something that a justified person does. And because it's a true sense of his sin, and because you're justified, you're receiving... Um, you're receiving sanctification. Sanctification means you're, you're turning into Christ. Well, what does Christ do? Christ hates sin. And so repentance with grief and hatred of his sin. Turn from it unto God. So, uh, I do think that people tend to conjoin faith and repentance prior to justification. That's one mistake. The second thing is uh, treating repentance as if it were instrumental in justification. And I think that that's actually a larger problem. um, Mm. Because you are turning something which views the law repentance looks to the self and it compares the self to the law and sees where there's, there's something um, missing and uh, out of faith, you're endeavoring to be, uh, to turn toward the law as third use of the law as you're trying to, to obey endeavor after new obedience under question 33 in the shorter catechism. What is justification? Um, Fisher's Catechism, which is a catechism on the Westminster Shorter Catechism, so it's kind of funny. It's a catechism for a catechism. Uh, it uh, asks a few questions. So, question 26, if none can expect pardon without expecting repentance along with it, will it not therefore follow that repentance is a condition of pardon? Answer, not at all. For if repentance cannot so much as have the least instrumentality in in pardon, it can never be the condition of it, nor have the smallest influence in causing it.
And uh, question 27, how does it appear that repentance has not the instrumentality, the least instrumentality in pardon? Answer, it appears evidently from this, that faith is the sole instrument of receiving Christ and his righteousness, without receiving of which there can be no pardon. John eight twenty four. if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So um, there's a big mistake, I think, if you place repentance, which is of necessity, imperfect because you are a sinner, which is why you're repenting. And there's never enough repenting this side of glory that you will do before um, you fully repented and you can be justified if full repentance is the um, is the condition of justification. So I think that that's, that's, uh, that's the greater error that people can run into when they view faith and repentance as being um, part of conversion and both being prior to to justification. So I think that that has something to do with Lordship Salvation, which uh, we'll probably touch on later, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that's what I was... I'm glad you actually brought that up because I wanted... That that was actually on my mind to bring up because I think that that's one of the errors with Lordship Salvation is that um, repentance becomes part of the instrument. And... What I have seen happen with people that have been influenced by that is very strong struggles with assurance, because I don't know if I repented enough to be saved. I don't know if I'm sorry enough for my sin to be saved, and and why this is so important to accurately understand. I love what R. Scott Clark says when he says that Good works may strengthen our assurance, but Christ alone is the ground of our assurance. Yeah, yeah the, the the lordship salvation thing, especially with um, when you're looking at the repentance thing, that's that's one huge example of confusing justification and sanctification, because um, faith uh, faith is the instrumental means of justification, and um, justification is perfect. There is never a moment where you need to be more justified or less justified. Um, if you believe, then you are justified. And it's not as though that justification can be improved. But sanctification can be improved. It's it's a progressive work. It's something the Holy Spirit does. And we'll see that this is also true of repentance. Because if anybody ever says, I've repented of this sin or I've repented of that sin, um, they think, They've repented of it, right? And they have. But maybe two years later, as the Holy Spirit is mortifying their sin, causing them to become more like Christ, they see how they're still holding on to some portion of that sin that they had previously repented of. So they renew their repentance, right? Repentance is something to be uh, to be renewed, and it's that's why it's connected to sanctification. Repentance, repentance and faith grow in sanctification. Um, but faith justifies and, and repentance doesn't. And so if you judge your justification on repentance, um, because your repentance is imperfect, you'll, you'll destroy your assurance. And mm. I don't know that that's always, uh, germane to every formulation, formulation of, um, Lordship salvation, mm. but I know a lot of people, myself included, who right at one time or still do, uh, would say, um, you know, yeah, I, I believe in lordship salvation. Uh, you know, I believe that the way they believe it is, um, you know, well, I've repented of my sin. That's how I know I'm saved. Well, 
you're going to struggle. You're going to have hard times. There's going to be times where um, you're having a really hard time letting letting go of your sin, and your flesh is is waging war against the spirit within you. And the spirit will get the victory, but it is a lot better to do that if you have the assurance that you do have salvation. You you are in the estate of grace. The assurance flows into repentance in Reformed theology. It's not the other way around, mm. uh, which is oh, it's so good. Yeah, um, it when is. You're talking about the, the benefits of of uh, life, which flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification, are assurance of God's love, right? Peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, mm. increase of grace and perseverance therein to the end. Um, when you believe and when you see how the Lord is work, has worked in your life, you witness the sanctification that he's worked in you. That spurs you on to good works. That spurs you on to repentance. And that's that's why it's important to not get those things mixed up. That's And that's what I think. I think that's a big risk with, with Lordship salvation. Not every formulation of it is like that, but um, it's often enough in, you know, MacArthur, MacArthur's, especially his or- earlier form of it was... I think, really prone to that sort of problem. Right. He said, um, as part of faith is determination of the will to obey. So determination of the will to obey almost becomes the instrument mm. to justification. Right. Because that's part of how faith is defined. Yeah. And and then all of a sudden, wait, am I determined enough to obey that I am justified? And nobody is guess what right. nobody yes nobody has a an adequate enough determination of the will to obey yeah yeah i, I think this one of the saddest things about that too is that i think fairly evident that people who are really agonizing over have i repented enough H- have i um pleased god is my heart really changed um they're really agonizing over this and scrutinizing this um you know caring about that is is clearly from the Lord. And so to be in that kind of agony and have it really destroying your assurance is is just very, um, especially sad, especially sad. Yeah, the uh, maybe the last thing I'll say on this is that that's like the problem with the language of complete or full surrender mm. that you'll see even today on, on Grace to Use website when they talk about Lordship Salvation and what it is. Um, because if you sin, uh, that's a sign that you're not completely surrendered. I, I, mm-hmm, I mean, I would mm-hmm. assume that because you're you're doing something that uh, is not really consistent with that supposed um, complete surrender. And so I think if people read that consistently, that that's where the problem of assurance can come in with with lordship salvation. And I I have said before that struggles with assurance is is one of the most common things that women write to me about and and I'll ask them a question so why or so tell me what is causing you to struggle with assurance and a lot of time when we really get down to it it's wrong teaching on what we're talking about right here um the last one in the order ordo salutis is glorification and this is something I don't hear a lot of talk about. Like each of the things, we hear lots of conversations or go through Facebook and look up anything that we've talked about so far, election and sanctification and justification, repentance. You're going to find lots of conversations, but glorification is not really talked about a lot. So what is glorification? 
Question 37 of the um, Shorter Catechism reads, What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves until the resurrection. And then 38, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers, being raised up in glory, shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and be made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. So glorification is the, we'll say like the last step uh, to uh, to the Ordo Salutis, where um, we die and um, our bodies are still united to Christ. They rest in the grave until the resurrection. But in the meantime, um, our souls are made perfect. So that righteousness that the Lord started to work into us through sanctification uh, comes to full fruition to live as Christ and to die as gain. We go to be with Christ. Uh, our souls go to be with Christ. And then in the resurrection, right, the second part of glorification, we're raised up, but in bodies that don't pass away. So we will live uh, in the enjoying of God to all eternity. So we'll have everlasting communion with, with God bodily, not just spiritually with our souls, but bodily we will be um, may have perfect bodies. We will. We will. There will be no uh, inclination to sin. We'll have blessedness of communion of glory with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We will no longer deal with the pangs of sin in our bodies, the effects of sin in our body. Um, we'll. Our bodies won't break down. They won't um, start to ache like they do now. And um, we will think, you know, ten years or twenty years into the future and not be thinking the things that we think about right now. You know, like I think about, um, will I have gray hair? Will I finally be able to grow a beard that my wife won't laugh at? Uh, all sorts of stuff. Yes, but she um, won't be your wife. How old are my kids? She won't be my wife, right? So, yeah, so she wouldn't care. But, um, like, um, are, will my kids be, will my kids be alive? Mm. Will they, um, will they be uh, with the Lord uh, 10, 20 years from now? I have lot, lots of these anxieties uh, and worries Um but when I have the Lord as the light of the day and I walk on the earth, the new heavens and the new earth, um, in blessed communion with him, right? Like that's just, uh, it's hard to imagine, uh, how big that is, but cause I, I can't imagine being free from, from sin bodily. I can imagine dying and going to be with the Lord and, and that seems kind of weird, but, uh, and that seems is still kind of like an ethereal thought in my mind, but to walk in my body, uh, but perfect, right? Glorification, uh, the righteousness of Christ, um, flowering to its eternal end. And that's just, a oh, looking forward, mm. uh, to that. Like, that's what we look forward to. That's what sanctification is all about. So, you know, I'll tell yeah. you two things that are key for me in, um, thinking about glorification. You know, I think when I was growing up, I understood that, you know, in glorification, you know, what we're doing is worshiping God um, as the body of Christ. But I think keys that I had to come to understand as I got older um, and got some better theology, we won't be able to sin. 
that that's amazing to look forward to is that struggle is over i won't be able to sin anymore and then also that it's a bodily resurrection you know um spending eternity in glory is not a disembodied experience we're not just spirits kind of floating out there it it is a physical resurrection to glory it is about the bodies that we have being resurrected to glory and and somehow glorified um and that is um, another key thought for me, something that I didn't always understand growing up. Yeah, it's amazing to think about. And I think it's natural. Some people might have a a fear of death. Mm. My my mother-in-law used to say, we know where we're going. We just fear the transportation, (laughs) how we're going to get there. Um, But I... I remember my grandfather, just such a amazing, godly man. And the morning that he died, he he said, "I'm ready." And and he really was. He really was. He had um, talked about that. And it's it's. I think it's beyond. At least it's beyond my comprehension what that will be like. You know, I was even thinking about sometimes I struggle with liking a certain person, you know, and that person is my brother or sister in Christ and um, just won't struggle with even things like that. And Nick, what you were saying, worrying about, you know, will your children be with you? I uh, have have a child that's that's not a Christian and and initially... I mean, not not that it's not hard now. Obviously, that's a difficult thing, and and I pray that the Lord will work in him, and he will, um, you know, come to come to saving faith at some point. But you know, I had to I had to work through that, and part of it was just working through that it wasn't up to me to make him a Christian. Like, oh, I need to say the right things to get him to come to faith or something. But for some reason, just one day I just realized and had such a peace that the Lord is good mm. and he's faithful and I can I can rest in that and I don't know if that means my son will come to saving faith but I can still rest in that amen so well we've um, we probably could have talked about even more but we've kind of gone long already this is such a fascinating conversation and there was even so much more I could could say on this. Is there anything that either of you would like to say in closing just on the subject of Ordo Salutis or why it's important that we get this right or anything to add on to what we've talked about tonight? I have heard in some circles the idea of, hey, you know what, guys, we need to move beyond the Ordo Salutis. We need to get over that. That's old news. And what it's really about is union with Christ. And really getting all that order right doesn't really matter. What you what you need to know is that union with Christ covers it all, and you're good. So union with Christ is the, it's the, really the, I think the central focus of the, of the, the Westminster larger catechism, but it's, it's soaked in every single question, especially when we think about what it means to, um, to have faith, um, right? If faith is, is what, um, is the thing by which we're united, the instrument of our union with Christ, um, then when we look at justification, adoption, sanctification, repentance unto life, glorification, uh, when we look at how we're called to faith, when we look at election, uh, we're doing all those things 
and the centerpiece of that is union with Christ. So, mm. um, union with Christ is something that we presuppose, but that doesn't mean that these other things are not important because they really are important. Because if you don't get them right, then you um, you run into you run into problems. If uh, union with Christ uh, isn't talked about in um, justification or it isn't spoken of in, in adoption or in sanctification, there's, I think there's, there's problems. That's actually one of the big things that I think is, um, difficult, um, for people who are like on the, the Calvinistic Baptist dispensationalist camp. Cause I think that many of them have a weak understanding of, uh, union with Christ. And, um, so just understanding that's important, but it's not because justification, adoption, and sanctification are not important. Uh, mm-hmm. Rather, union with Christ is really the lens through which we should view all of those things. Mm. So union with Christ does not make those things opaque to us, or it shouldn't. It should actually make them more clear. Right. Um, yeah, so that's it's very important, but so are all these other things because of union with Christ. We don't want to oppose those two things. And I'll add that... Um the Westminster Standards do talk about union with Christ, in, like you said, in the larger catechism. I'm going to read question 66. Um, and, and this is going to place union with Christ in the Ordo Salutis um, that we just talked about. What is that union which the elect have with Christ? The union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace. Boy, there's that same language again, who's doing the work. Mm-hmm. Whereby they are spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably, joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. So, in my view um, and understanding of this language, you know, union with Christ happens during that effectual calling. And guess what? Just like we say, uh, repentance flows out, sanctification flows out, uh, all of those things flow out of uh, justification. Um Mm-hmm. we can sort of say the same thing about union union with Christ. And I agree with you, that doesn't really erase what those steps are. It doesn't erase the, the granularity there. It helps pull it better into focus. Yeah. And saying can, we need to move on from it, I was listening this afternoon to a old Heidelcast, R. Scott Clark's podcast, and when he was talking about Federal Vision, and he said people will say to him, and everyone makes jokes about R. Scott Clark and Federal Vision, but people will say to him, can't you just move on from this? And, you know, there's a lot of things that are important. We don't move right. on from yeah. them. We we continue to make, say these are important. Like, we've talked a lot about Federal Vision because even though some people may not use the Federal Vision label anymore, they're still believing Federal Vision things, and it's an attack on the gospel. It would be like saying, we just need to move on from the gospel. We don't ever move on from the gospel. The gospel is always um, central to our lives. I think about even just in my daily life and my daily struggle with sin, that it's that constant reminding myself of the gospel that the Lord uses in my in my life um, that I want to obey, that I repent of my sin because of the gospel. So. Yeah. Oh, one more one more thing. Uh, just regarding union with Christ is that um, it, just thinking about it, just the question, it says that um, union with Christ means that you're really and inseparably 
joined to Christ as your head and husband in effectual calling. So uh, inseparable means that effectual calling, um, justification, faith, sanctification, adoption, all the benefits of Christ are inseparable. Mm. You you don't get disconnected from that ever, which is contra federal vision. Um, but uh, really, it's just an important thing to remember that all these things that we talked about are not... Um, it's not like they're te- they're like temporary realities. Mm-hmm, they are mm-hmm. inseparably um, true for you because you are inseparably joined to Christ. And some people will say, you know, you can't separate these things, but you must distinguish between each of right. them. And you had you had referenced earlier, Nick, about how sometimes that confusion between justification and sanctification. And we talk about that a lot on Theology Gals, how important it is to um, distinguish between those things and, and all of the things that we've talked about here. So, well, I we went a little bit long and we probably could have <laughs> even said more. Angela and I do have it on our list to do an episode on union with Christ at some point. And... We'll probably dig into some of these things in different topics. I think even some of the things we've talked about tonight, we've talked about in other episodes. So anything that might apply to what we've talked about here, I will put in episode notes, including the parts of the Westminster Catechism, both shorter and larger, that fit into this discussion, if you want to go through some of those. And Nick, we really enjoyed having you join us. This was fun. For this episode. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And go check out uh, Reformed Pilgrims. I want to highly recommend their series on the Ten Commandments because they really dug into each one of those. And you would think, how could you do a whole hour and just one commandment? Just trust me. Go check it out. It's really good. It was kind of like, as I listened to it, I think I have two left. As I listened to it, it was a combination of feeling a little convicted sometimes, but also comforted knowing the hope that I have in Christ. So go check that out. And thanks, Nick, for joining us. Thank you.